This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. I hope you've had a great week. And today I'm going to be giving you another piece of a puzzle I didn't think we'd ever find another piece to. So we're going back to the No Name Fellowship. If you don't remember, go back to Stacy's episode a couple months ago and brush up. I had somebody reach out saying, you'll never believe this, but I was actually prophesized in that cult. I said, come on down <laughs> because we need to hear this story. So that's what the episode is about today. So trigger warnings are going to be, we're talking about cults. We're talking about a death and arguably a murder of a child. Uh, we're also going to be talking about conspiracy theories and Alex Jones. So it's an interesting episode, but I promise it fits in. You'll see. And then in real life, I have some pretty cool news, but I'm going to save it to the end and we'll do some updates right now. If you haven't checked it out, there is a new series on Netflix called How to Be a Cult Leader and a couple of friends of the pod are on it. And so I want to support it that way. I could kind of take or leave the narration and I wish they would have gone into MLM, but if you're into cults, it's a good one for some education. And like I said earlier, we do talk about Alex Jones in this episode and one of his victims uh, actually has a GoFundMe, which we'll get into, but you can find the link to that if you want to support in the show notes. I also want to welcome our new Patreon members, Kate Hedges, Mary Bolton Cockrell, Olivia Whipple, and Kathy Nesbitt. Welcome! And because they are members of the Patreon, they got to hear my special news early. And that special news is that we have podcast merch. I set up a merch store. I'm very excited. There's some really cute designs over there. If you've been following along on social media, maybe you've seen. We have apparel, we have coffee mugs, and we have a shopping tote right now. I have ideas for other things in the future. I really hope that this merch store sort of kind of takes care of itself and that the profits that I get from it go back into purchasing new designs. I try to keep the prices as low as possible. Again, there's not a lot of profit coming off of this and what profit there is. I'm going to recycle back in so that we can stay up to date and fresh. So if you're a graphic designer, if you have ideas, if I've said something ridiculous that you can't get out of your head and you need it on a mug or a shirt or a bag or whatever, let me know. Let's work together. I would love to see your art in the merch store. Other than that, go check it out and let me know what you think. And please enjoy this episode. It is really funny and I just I think you're really going to like it. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I think one of the coolest things about having a podcast is that when people listen to it, they message you and they have interesting things to say. And that's exactly what happened. 
we had the episode with Stacy and the No Name Fellowship. And I got an email almost the next day that was like, yeah, I was in this and I have more to add. And it's a really cool connection. And I'm really, really excited to have this conversation. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Jordan Holmes. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. And yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I got my coffee. I locked the dogs out so we won't have any distractions. And I am I'm here for it. I'm really absolutely here for it. Yeah, let's jump into this. First of all, tell everybody who you are. You have a podcast. There's this other secondary connection besides this cult thing that's really interesting. And so please introduce yourself to my audience. Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm Jordan Holmes. I am the co-host of a podcast called Knowledge Fight that is, uh, I suppose, very, very large in a very small and very specific way. So since we don't do any, we don't, we're not on social media or, or anything along those lines. So nobody should have heard of us unless they go into this very specific rabbit hole. You know what I'm saying? So I don't expect anybody to have any clue who I am. But yeah, we do a show and it's about Alex Jones entirely it's entirely about alex jones we have gone through info wars over decades we've spanned time and space to do i want to say well over 800 episodes of one show about one guy we're a bunch of weirdos uh so <laughs> do i am i also used to be a comedian i'm a writer i i do general weird creative stuff that's all i do yeah, so it's nice I'm here for the commitment to the Alex Jones. I mean, you have like over 800 episodes about this dude. You were there in the beginning. You were there for the height. You were there for the fall. How was, how did that feel for you? Well, I mean, it feels rough because it's not really over. The fall hasn't really, I mean, the fall happened, but we haven't hit the ground, which is where I want him to hit and then hopefully make a very comforting splat noise. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the feeling that I have about where we are in that process. It is a very strange coincidence that we started the show. Well, I mean, it's not really a coincidence. What happened was my co-host Dan was watching the inauguration coverage of Trump's inauguration all the way back in 2017. And he was watching it through the lens of Alex Jones and Infowars. And they were toasting champagne glasses over videos of LGBTQ non-white people crying because they knew what was coming. Oh, um, wow. So that's when we started the podcast because Dan was like, nobody's paying attention to this guy. Somebody needs to pay attention to this guy. And he and I were both comedians at the time. And we had a really deep connection. I mean, we just talk, talk, talk for hours and hours. And then we started doing the show and here we are. We turned that into a job. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> I mean, our stories are very similar, yet very different. <laughs> I just thought it was really cool. There's all these little weird connections. I love the podcasting community. And I, I love hearing people's sort of backstories and how it started. So yeah, bravo for the success of the show. And the good work that you are doing to expose just disgusting scammers. I yeah, really appreciate yeah, yeah. I, it. I don't know if I made that clear. We're on the anti side. We're we're on the anti side of Alex Jones. We're not like covering him like like fucking at midnight and Chris Hardwick or or some shit like that. <laughs> it's not Talking a fan pod. Wars. It's not that. I promise you. Oh man, that's you are you are definitely still a comedian. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about why you're really here. Your namesake. This is just really interesting. And 
there's not a lot to know about the No Name Fellowship, which was why it was so strange that I even got another person that was like, hey, I can add more to this. If you Google it, there's a couple articles that I already shared in the show notes of the other episode. It's nothing. It's nothing. So I'm just going to turn it over to you and we're just going to start. Tell us how you were born. Yeah. I mean, isn't it funny how you literally have to start the story with, let's start at the beginning when you were born. But that's like, let's really start at the beginning. But it is an interesting story. My parents were in the No Name Fellowship. They were in the Champaign, Illinois chapter of the No Name Fellowship. And I believe they were founding members. If not, if not founding members, they were there at the beginning. And they watched and, and participated as the whole thing went down. My oldest brother was born in the fellowship. So when it ended, it was, uh, he would have been about seven. My second brother would have been about five. And I was born like six months before the end of the fellowship, whenever they murdered a child. And I was born under a prophecy <laughs> that was laid out by the leader. I believe it was Doug Claver. But I don't know if it was that for sure. But yeah, so he said in the month of May, we'll be born a child with the name Jordan Benea, B-E-N-A-I-A-H, who is apparently one of the mighty soldiers of uh, King David or something like that. Don't ask me. I'm not going to look into it too deep. <laughs> um and so I wasn't supposed to be born with that name. My folks had picked out a completely different name for me, and I was supposed to be born in April. But my mom had had my two older brothers by C-section. And in the intervening five years from when they were able to go to doctors to get a C-section, the fellowship had gotten more and more extreme. So when I got to be born, they were like, nah, dude, home birth all the way. You can't be going to a doctor or something like that. What are you, crazy? Wow. So, of course, they didn't. And, of course, I was born then three weeks late in, surprise, the month of May. Fulfilling the prophecy. Exactly. Now, the funniest part of this, the cult twist part of this, is that there was the, Stacy was part of the Spokane, Washington sect, and there was another kid born in May with the name Jordan Benea. So there's two of us on this planet. There's only two. And I think, I am I mean, I'm not concerned about the apocalypse unless the two of us fight or touch. Something is going <laughs> to happen if that happens. But other people are worried about the future, and I'm like, nah. Until this guy and I touch, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> this is like the plot point of like a supernatural episode or something. Totally. 100%. I mean, it was a biblically based, uh, I suppose cult would be a good word for it. Uh, it was Bible specific. And I genuinely think that if anybody has a solid claim to become Antichrist material, I'm right there. Because I kind of stole that other dude's prophecy. And not just that, but I looked into it and that guy's a good dude. He was like in the military or some shit. Like he's a straight arrow. Like he's done everything. I'm a comedian and an alcoholic and that's my job. You know, like those are the only two things. So I feel like I am in the running for having stolen the prophecy and would be coming the Antichrist. And I'm on the way. I'm on the way. <laughs> You're the bizarro, Jordan. Yeah, totally. Totally. And our fans, <laughs> our fans, they are one, the greatest group of people on the planet. The wonks are amazing. And part of why I came on the show was I wanted to shamelessly point to Erica Lafferty's GoFundMe. 
Erica Lafferty is one of the family members. She's one of the victims of the Sandy Hook tragedy, which, as we all know, is Alex Jones's $1.5 billion failure on this one. And uh, so after his decade-long harassment campaign against all of the families, they won the judgment. And here's why he hasn't hit the floor yet. He hasn't fallen all the way yet is because they haven't been able to collect on any of the money. It's still stuck in bankruptcy court, and it will be forever until the end of time if they can. That's what rich people can do. You know, that's what happens if you have millions of dollars. And so Erica was just diagnosed with cancer, and she has a GoFundMe campaign to pay for the awful, awful expenses that go along with that. And she is ostensibly owed millions of dollars by this man. And he is going out on vacations and shit to Hawaii. He was just in Hawaii, right? And the bankruptcy court allows all that stuff, but she, Erica, has a GoFundMe campaign. So just, yeah, I just want to push that as much as humanly possible, that life is unjust and bullshit. Absolutely. Uh, most of the time. And I will uh, throw that in the show notes. So if you are so yeah. inclined or able that you could donate as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be, it would be nice. And the expenses just keep going up. So that's part of where the wonks come in is that our fan base has kind of just turned themselves into a community of incredibly kind and socially active and conscious people. And one of the most accepting, like for any and all communities and not in a platitude type way, like it insanely accepting. And they have started calling themselves because Dan's cat, the cat's name is Celine. They've started calling themselves the cult of Celine. So in real time, I am creating this prophecy as it goes on. It's bananas. It's just, it's just how it works. It's full circle at this point. Like you can't it, deny it. That train is along. full speed ahead. Oh, it is. It is. So let's talk about the fall of the cult when you're six months old or so. Like, how did that impact your family? What happened? So the Spokane group um, murdered the kid. And that was, you know, that's one of those things that I've thought a lot about over the years because it can be seen from so many different points of view. The first thing I'll say about how it all broke apart is that because it ended that way, because it ended with the leader going to jail for four years and the father doing his time, the cult itself never really broke up so much as they just weren't hanging out anymore. You know, they never saw each other. So nobody really, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, the fellowship never broke up. They just went their separate ways. Nobody ever left the fellowship. The fellowship just ended. Right. right. It just dissolved and everybody just sort of like went on, not even underground, just sort of moved on. Nope, just went back to their lives for the most part. And it was not seamless. You know, everybody by the end that was still in there had to cut off ties with everybody who wasn't in there. You know, so my family was completely isolated from our extended family. No contact. There were no friends outside of the cult, which is the escalation point. You know, that's where it went from being because it started as just like a we're going to do the Bible. We're sick of all these glitter bug churches. It is very Alex Jones. You know, it is very like we're sick of all of these people who pretend to believe in this stuff and who don't follow through on it. We're sick of listening to people talk about the Bible and not do the Bible. Right. So they get together 
And it's a small group of like younger people too. Everybody is in that 20 to 25, 30 range. So it's all these young people getting together in this Bible study and trying to practice doing the Bible as much as they can, right? Now, if you've ever read the Bible, if you're going to go through the Bible and start trying to do it, you know, you start with the easy stuff first. Like women shouldn't talk as much, you know? And then by the end, as you accelerate through the Bible, you're like, all right, well, I can control what women wear. I can control what women do. I can tell anybody, you know, like all of that stuff. It's just that escalation point that cults hit. And then eventually, if you're going through the Bible, you get to the parts where it says you shouldn't be involved with non-Christians. Those parts are real. If they're not inside the church, you shouldn't be involved with them. And if you're doing the Bible, they went, okay, we're not going to be involved with these people, right? And then the cult ends and they all just kind of wake up because they're not in this group think area where they're reinforcing their beliefs over and over and over again. They all go their separate ways and they all take the fellowship with them. They all take with them the idea of we want to do the book. We believe in this, right? Because they're no longer associated with each other, turning it into a weird ritualistic thing. Everybody just went to regular churches. <laughs> you know, it was like it was there and then gone. Poof. Are they infusing these regular churches with their like fundamentalist beliefs or are they just finding other fundamentalist churches? You know, it is one of the things that they, I think, ironically, uh, were so scared of that did come true completely, which is that if you're not in that constantly reinforcing state, then you slowly leave the like fundamentalist parts of it because those are untenable and silly. If you're not hanging out with only people who are like, it's okay to spank my wife <laughs> in public. If you go out in the real world and you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. The Bible says that I should be doing this. And you all say you're Christians, right? You should support this. And then they go, no, you're fucking crazy, man. And then slowly they just become more and more like regular old mainstream people who don't have those like, we have to fundamentally do this. They might say, a lot of them still will say like, that's how it's supposed to be done. And they, a lot of them miss it. A lot of them hated it. A lot of them are glad to be gone. Plenty of them are survivors. And the thing about it is because these were all young people, all of the children of them weren't old enough to make really solid, comprehensive memories. And they didn't write shit down. So no one knows exactly what's going on or what happened. The kids don't have clear memories of it. And they're people who were in a cult, so they believe all kinds of weird stuff. They're not reliable narrators. <laughs> None of them <laughs> no. will tell the same stories. You know, they're all colored by a very different experience, and, and not least of which, you know, the massive difference between genders. I mean, astonishing what they do and what the Bible tells you to do, you know? People, people do that. I mean, I've since starting this podcast, I've gotten a lot more into understanding like the fundy stuff. And it's wild now, like unpacking things I thought were weird back then and just sort of like, like just stored for later. <laughs> and then yeah. watching documentaries like Jesus Camp or The Family, especially The Family or Shiny Happy People That's that just funny. came out. I just, I just talked to Jeff Charlotte for a few hours. We just had a long interview about his most recent book. So, yeah, believe me, my knowledge and awareness of this type of stuff is also stupid large. 
Yeah. It's just like it became a special interest of mine. And it was not something that I was ever looking into to become a special interest. But unfortunately, when dissecting multi-level marketing, you come into all these, you know, intersectionalities of other things that like, well, it can't really work the way it needs to work without these other things. So I started looking into those other things and like really fundamentalist stuff. And then what we like to call um, like the alt-right pipeline into wellness, into Christianity, whatever, like it's all there. And yeah, so it's it interesting. Eventually. Yeah, Sooner no. Later you get to Nazis. Totally. I think Nazis have shown up in at least two episodes here on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, hey, Nazis. there they are. And here here we have Nazis number three. So Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's hard not to compare it to a, a multi-level marketing scheme, except instead of selling makeup or whatever, you're selling Jesus. You're selling salvation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you always have to be bringing new people into the fold. That's your one pillar of income. The more people you bring in, the more heaven you're going to get. Then your other side of income is going to the church over, you know, and it's it is very much a pyramid scheme. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester, and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard-approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low-water and eco-friendly dyes. 
They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a Cotton Modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. then also like even leaving is the way that people leave like you're telling me about how oh well they just sort of like left because they didn't have the fellowship anymore so they had to find other churches like you telling me that story of people just sort of being like this is fine right and people like no and Mm. snapping back into reality sounded to me like people leaving amway hey i just couldn't go to the meetings every week and i swear to you that since they left the fellowship i guarantee that most of those people have participated in some sort of scheme like that absolutely trying to recreate that kind of close intense feeling and the type of feedback that you get from like minor successes yeah like that little shot of dopamine in the very beginning no no no. when you talk about churches you know part of that social group is you get the same little flavor of fun that you get from clicking like on facebook like it's it's a social process yeah uh, the religious kind of thing I mean, it's so obvious a system. Uh, We see it in the government. We see it in churches. We see it in these business cults. We see it in gurus. Any person that wants to control you, any person that's like, I know better. I know the best thing. You have to listen to me. A, B, C, one, two, three. This is how you become just like me. (laughs) Right, right. And it's, it's this really odd system that once you see it in like one sect, you can pick it out in others, which is so... So much the reason why I have other conversations that aren't MLM centered so that people can be like, this kind of sounds like when I was in Mary Kay, or this kind of sounds like that time I was in that one church when we're talking about Amway and that connection so that people can see it everywhere. It's like, it's this podcast has become more like red flag education than like MLM specific. MLM just happens to come up the most. Sure. Well, I mean, you, you know, you look at like, Elon Musk. Elon Musk is an absolute idiot, you know, but because people have put so much invested into the idea that he's not an idiot, it would make them feel really stupid if they just suddenly went and were like, oh, no, the past few years I've been worshiping a moron. This guy is fucking stupid shit, you know, and the same thing is true for MLM things. Once you're in there for such a length of time, if you just suddenly go, oh, no, that was a waste of years of my life, years of my life. I just threw in the shitter. Uh, that's tough to do. That's tough to to just jump over. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate like the fandom of Elon Musk. <laughs> like, I don't. No, no, no. What I mean is your <laughs> your comparison of like this, the sunk cost fallacy of being an Elon Musk fan and just being like, we're so invested at this point. It's too late to ask the question of what's actually now happening. We're trying to be anti-government, anti-billionaires, and we worship the worst billionaire on the planet. Like, it's incredible. You know, it's like Trump voters are like, ah, oh, we're going to get him out of there. We hate these rich people. And you're like, no, he's a billionaire. Who's What are you doing? What are we doing? Why are we here? 
Stop the simulation. <laughs> I figured it's it out. Nuts. It's a scam. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. So what are some of these lasting effects of you and your family of being like raised in a cult? So before you answer that really quick, I know you were only in a cult for six months, but the lasting and lingering effects of being raised and continuing to be raised by people who are in a cult is kind of big. But one of the articles because I did some research. I Googled the New York Times article <laughs> that you guys are in. Yeah. Sorry. That's, that's, I mean, I'm not denigrating that as research, but I hear I did some research, then followed by I Googled something quite a bit. You and are totally fair. My line of work. <laughs> it's totally fair. I could not find any peer reviewed articles about you specifically. So I had to use Google. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> But this quote, and this is sort of where it circles back, the quote that you said in the New York Times that really stood out enough that I wrote it down. My entire life was influenced by a loud, large, brash con man cult leader. And now well, that's I mean, your job to expose the same kind of person. That's the the joke about it is that from when I was born, there was always a loud asshole talking about Jesus in my life. And it never stopped even till it turned into my job to talk about it. You know, like it is, it's just always been there. It's like, there's a cult leader's voice going on in the back of my head at all times. You know, I wrote a book that has a cult leader character in there. And that's, that's the voice that I can write in a heartbeat, you know, like it flows out of me with no trouble. And I've in the book, if you read it, there's a very handy guide to becoming a cult leader. So what you do is you take all those books that are like explaining how it is to avoid cults. And then you just do the stuff that they say to avoid to other people. And then you're fine. You're a cult leader. It's not hard. It's reverse engineering. <laughs> you're like, you just read what not to do. And then you do that. And then you do it. It's not hard. Just don't be the one who gets it done to them. You do it to others. That's the trick. Of and the, the second trick is don't get caught. Don't get caught. Keep don't the manipulation in this in the fog going so that you have a good enough following that anybody that dissents is like the cult comes down and says, you're the hater. Get right. out of here. Well, I mean, I also think that's one of the fun, the interesting things about the fellowship. I'm fascinated by what makes them different from so many other cults and the like. And the first one is, as far as I'm aware, as far as anybody has come forward, and I've had a few, I've had more than a few people reach out to me because uh, I'm I'm fairly public, is that there were no dicks. There was no child exploitation. There was no abuse like that. You know, they were very much trying to adhere as close as possible to the Bible, literally, like the words in the book. You know, they weren't trying to interpret anything. They weren't trying to be like, what does God want? They were picking the parts of the Bible that where it was like, no, no, no. He said, do this thing. You have to do this thing. That's what the book says. And if you don't do that thing, then you're not really following the book, are you? If Christ tells you that you have to do something and you're not doing it, then according to your book, you're not a Christian, right? Makes and sense to me. And as it's gone along, you know, the thing that people think of me is, you know, I turned into this radical atheist who's like, I hate religion and I'm resentful because of what religion's done to me and all this shit. And in a certain way, I kind of still agree with them. <laughs> Here's what I think. I think that I am a religious extremist still, right? It just so happens that there is no God. You know, like, so that I don't have to do anything. I'm not busy. <laughs> I'm not busy. I would be. 
I would be if there was a God. And believe me, I went looking. I went looking real hard. Like I didn't reach any kind of like deal with my religious upbringing until up to and including yesterday and this moment now. <laughs> so like when I was really young, we went to church all the time. When I was a teen, I went to the the retreats. I went to the God camps. I went to the youth groups. I, I did the whole thing. You know, after I left Christianity, because I honestly, the same reasons that they went into the fellowship. I was like reading the book and looking at everybody going like, oh, you people are fucking liars. All of you are lying to me. Why have you wasted my time with this book if you're lying to me about it? You know, I can read it. It's there for me. So so finally, I was like, oh, well, then Christianity is not the way to go. But I was never in the same way that the fellowship didn't end because everybody left the fellowship. It ended because everybody just had to scatter. And that same way, I wasn't like, oh, well, now that Christianity I know is false, there's no God. I went the other direction. I was like, well, obviously there's a God. Only a fool would think otherwise. And I'm just not looking hard enough. So I went through the whole gamut. You know, I've spent probably, I don't know, since I was 11 or 12 studying religions, all of them, as many as I could find. Cults, you know, part of what we talk about are these Project Camelot episodes, which are space weirdos, you know, like the radio shows where people call in and they're like, all right, so I am a secret space program survivor. I'm from Mars, but I was traveled there for time travel, you know, going through all of this stuff. And as you experience them talk about it, I experience the same thing that people talk about when they talk about religion. You know, they speak of this with such faith and such conviction, knowing full well that none of this is real, not even a little bit. Are we talking like Art Bell style radio shows or oh, yeah, there but, but, are way more extreme ones? Oh, it gets way more extreme than that. I am not in this circle at all. Coast to coast. That's baby stuff. Baby stuff. Clearly, I need an education. Mainline lunacy. So with their belief system, they didn't escalate in that way. They didn't escalate in a more abusive a more extreme control type of way. They escalated in a just like constantly reinforcing the group, you know? So Doug Kleber was the charismatic con man who could use his kind of physical imposing presence to, to silence people. But what perpetuated the cult wasn't the leader. It was the way that they all talked to each other. And because of that, Again, you know, part of the interview with uh, Stacy was like, no, I don't think anybody ever left. Some people had their kids grabbed, you know, kidnapped, which is arguably the wrong thing to do. I would say maybe kidnapping children may not be a great move. Doesn't look so good. No, <laughs> but, but nobody left because that's they weren't doing something that they thought was unusual. This was faith for them. Like if they saw another church, they would see it as another church that wasn't practicing the Bible. You know, that's why they called themselves the fellowship. They didn't have a name for it. They weren't outside of the Bible. They were just anywhere, you know, two or more gather in my name. Y'all got a church, that kind of thing. So while they were engaged in that cultish behavior of cutting themselves off from their families, it was oddly democratic in a way. 
from what I know of the bits and pieces that I've gotten from, because again, nobody knows the whole story and nobody snitched. The part of the reason I reached out to you is because I was I was more surprised that somebody snitched than anything else. <laughs> I've talked about it a bit. And I mean, you know, I mentioned it in a New York Times article, you know, so it's it's out there. But I haven't heard anybody who wasn't me snitching. We love snitches over here. That's my bread and butter. So, yes, I've had a lot of different points of view relayed to me over a span of time. And none of them are exactly the same, but none of them feature what is almost always the like sign of a cult, which is a sexual abuse type relationship between the, the cult and its and its leader. Now, I don't know that for sure. Again, most people aren't talking. So it's entirely possible that I mean, most people don't talk about their childhood. Fucking 80% of women have had some sort of sexual assault in their lifetimes, most of whom never talk about it. So I'm not going to say, I mean, statistically, they probably were. I take it all back. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's I true, right? If it, it wasn't institutionalized as far as I'm right. Aware. It wasn't on the menu for the day. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be there. But it could have been. Which is the other thing that I'm so fascinated by is why it ended. I don't know why. I mean, I know why it ended, right? The murder by neglect and beating and abusing of a child. Now, if that kid hadn't had juvenile diabetes, the cult never would have stopped. You know, it would have just kept on going. And the, the rate of escalation they were going at, it could have been it could have gotten larger. You know, in a very short period of time, they had multiple places around the country. It could have gotten more extreme in regards to oppression of women, which is always a huge next step for them. And it could have consolidated more and more power in the the quote unquote elders hands. You know, we'll never know how it could have gone. But at the same time, this is America. You know, I kind of don't know why people stopped them it, it, like i get it. it's awful but at the same time it costs ten thousand dollars for a thing of insulin here like the entire country is killing people with juvenile diabetes in a sense you know so there's there's so many fascinating kind of contradictions with them as a cult force as opposed to a a like almost and the way i kind of view them is this mirror to christianity you know this is what it looks like if you try to do it and it kills people. That's what I've come to the conclusion of, is that they are the indictment of the entirety of Christianity because they were right and they're murderers for it. I mean, again, that's why I get mad when people call themselves Christians, because they're not. I mean, and and I'm not saying that in a denigrating way. I'm saying that based on the book. That's the the book, you know? And there's a lot of people who want to talk about like interpretations and like what do these stories actually mean and all of that stuff. And they ignore the the parts that are very clear about what you have to do. And that's the type of thing you have to do. You have to believe that. You have to be willing to slit your son's throat on top of fucking a mountain. That's what faith means in the Bible, right? So what winds up happening is because of the social group of people calling themselves Christian, despite the fact that they kind of believe whatever religion that they believe is their own, you know, like, have your fun. You know, I'm not going to take it away from you. That's not what I'm here for. The problem is that by associating yourself with people who are 
fundamentalists who are extremists, you are giving them massive amounts of power. You don't want the family to have that much power. You don't. Absolutely not. But they only have power because most of this country calls themselves a Christian and is willing to forget all of their own self-interests in order to maintain that social connection. So it is by you calling yourself something that you are absolutely not that you have created a nightmare scenario for you to grow up in, which is a fun part of religion. And I think people aren't really engaging with that being a feature and not a bug, you know? That's kind of what religion is supposed to do to you. And and I mean, it, it does. It's really good at it. I always felt like, and again, not raised in a church and just sort of told Bible stories that for me, anytime I was at the church, it was just sort of this message of just like, just be a good person and like do good things. And oh, I was like, yeah, I already know that though. Do I need to come every Sunday for you to remind me? Because I right. still know. I still right. remember that. See, and so and that's, that's why I never connected. That's why you joined the fellowship. Oh, no. Do you understand? That's the impetus. That's the same thing. That same moment you had where you're like, I went to this church and you didn't tell me anything. I didn't already fucking know. So why am I here? And your question then has to be answered with either, well, I shouldn't be fucking here or there's something I should be doing that I'm not doing that these people aren't doing. And so all of those young kids just coming off of the 70s ending they're all of you know my dad was kind of at the tail end of hippie culture he was a fan of the beat poets and and fucking uh ken kesey you know that kind of stuff and he goes from that directly into the fellowship right but that's what happened whenever you know the hippies died is they realized that everything they believed was stupid and the 80s came up and uh, they were like oh greed's cool and that's kind of where also part of this right-wing militia movement that's where that grew out of you know during the 80s that's when the militia movement was really starting to become a lot stronger and it was around similar types of cults filled with similar types of people and that's when it, it comes to a head in the okc bombing you know, the right wing militias all kind of go back underground after that in the same way that the fellowship breaks apart after they realize that by practicing their ideas, they've gone a step too far and people are paying attention. So they're also part of that kind of ecosystem. And they ended in 87 where here's what I'm saying that Spokane, Washington, all of these areas that they were in are not far away from areas that other right-wing Christian groups were building up their space. So if they had kept going, that's the thing that blows my mind and that I haven't really put into a larger context. You know, I couldn't when I was growing up is that they could very well have been leading the charge on January 6th. You know, yeah. <laughs> they could be the family. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. Absolutely. I was like, at what point does the fellowship just like blend and just become the family? You know, like, and it's interesting that you said, like, for somebody who goes into a church and goes, well, I already know this stuff. One side is, so I'm not going to come back, which was me. And then the other side is, well, maybe there's like a group of people where we could just like meet in the woods on Wednesdays instead. And then like a fellowship type thing is born. Or version of what I'm looking for, you know, and it's the same thing that happens with Fox News. When you're watching Fox News, eventually you've watched Fox News to the point where you're like, okay, I get what they're going to say. And they're not hard enough for me. You know, they're not giving me that good stuff. So that's when you go to like Newsmax or, you know, Ben Shapiro or those people who are going to give you that like, oh, you almost want to be a terrorist, don't you? You're real close to wanting to actually kill people. And then you take another step further, you wind up in Infowars or or Patriot Front Nazi territory. You know, like these are the steps that it goes down whenever you reach the point of crisis where you either say, I'm going to step all the way in or I'm going to leave. It's, it's a fascinating slope. I've talked to uh, Mike Rothschild and we did like a QAnon oh, yeah, episode. A of mine. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And uh, his wife's a fan of the show. And she was like, you got to talk to Roberta. And it was a great episode to just sort of dive into this sort of stuff. And this, again, it's like the same themes coming back in. You, you know, I like order Mike's new book, uh, Jewish Space Lasers, I believe. Is, what it's is that what he ended up calling it? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a really fascinating, interesting space. And I think there are probably people who are pretty triggered listening to this kind of stuff and maybe already turned it off. And that's okay. It's not for you or you're not ready for it yet. And I hope you do come back and listen because there are a lot of like invisible strings that aren't really so invisible once you open your eyes. And they're so connected with so many of these things, multi-level marketing, religion, conspiracy theories, January 6th. Like it's, it's a slope. Like we've proved it a few times that it's a slope that you end up there. You know, I don't think it's this. I, I mean, I, I understand the slope metaphor and it makes, it makes sense. But I think one of the ways that it's it's harder to deal with the problem if you view it as like a slope, you know, I feel like what it is is an ecosystem. All of this stuff reinforces. It's not like if Fox News wasn't there, no one would go to Newsmax. Part of Newsmax is that Newsmax gives Fox News legitimacy for other people. Fox News gets to go, well, I'm not them. So you can see that we're not far right Nazis, even though... They're Nazi, you know, like that kind of thing. So they prop each other up. They create an ecosystem that reinforces itself. And that's why people get trapped in there is because they can't get what they want outside of it. You know, they're all trapped. It's like, it's the Apple ecosystem. The far right is like, you can't buy a different charger cable for this device. You can only stay with the lightning cord or whatever the fuck it is, you know? And by creating yeah. that loyalty, that brand loyalty, it's in control of itself. I like the ecosystem analogy better because it, it it fits better because all of these things sort of work together versus moving from one space to another because you're going to be going back and staying in multiple spaces right. at the same time. Exactly. I like that. The alt-right biome. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm into it. No, it is. Um, oh, no, I'm so mad. I, I forget her name right now. She was the specialist on misinformation for the Sandy Hook trial that we were at in Austin. Oh, my God. She's I am so sorry. She's awesome. But she did all of the research. And when they were putting all of it together, they saw that like info wars and and those areas were its own separate thing from the ecosystem because it was self-made you know it's it's alex jones there's no boss there's nothing stopping him and nobody really wants to work with him anymore so he created his own ecosystem that is self-contained which i find endlessly fascinating and it's it's a tragedy but it is one of those things where once you see it as an ecosystem, you can realize how everything's interconnected and how everything reinforces the the bond that people have with their ideology. It's so fascinating. I really appreciate your perspective on that because you're in this space a lot more than I am. I just dip my toe every so often. But yes, like I love the the ecosystem analogy so much, but also Alex Jones is his own sustainable ecosystem outside of this bigger ecosystem. He survives regardless because he's just gotten to that point where he's, he's not captured. really untouchable, but kind of. No, he's captured enough people to support himself in perpetuity. And they're they're captured, you know, and he won't ever stop on his own. And I, I mean, it feels like nobody else is is really, you know, like we know Mark, the lead, lead plaintiff's attorney, we know how the system is supposed to be going and we understand that it has to be applied towards Alex in a certain way. He has to be stopped, but the system isn't built to do that. The system is built with the idea that surely, surely after a billion dollars, you know to stop, right? Surely. Right. It's not going to happen. If you owe people a billion dollars, like I would think you'd have to liquidate everything to pay it. Like I would feel like a normal person would be yeah. living in nothing because they're paying their victims back. But unfortunately, right. the way that the system is set up, because you can hide things and you can shell game your money because yeah. of corporations and greed and capitalism, yay, that this guy is living this incredibly lavish lifestyle because whatever is the entity that got sued is not the same as his personal entity. So he's on vacation and doing all this. It is so I mean, wild that it, he's also sued. Like the problem isn't that anyone's not being sued. The problem is that they're having to sue so many different things, some of which aren't real. They're having to find so many different things, some of which are hidden hilariously in plain sight. At one point, it was so funny. We did an episode where he was trying to do a podcast. You know, it's not the Alex Jones show. This is completely different from the Alex Jones show, unrelated to the Alex Jones show. This is a podcast. It's its own thing. I promise you it's its own thing, right? So we cover it for a couple episodes and it's like, this is his show. He's not fooling anyone. He's not fooling anyone. And then a few days later, he never does the podcast again because he can't do it because it's not a separate thing. It's It was so obvious that it was just like, send a letter of like, that's stupid to the point where no one else would have even tried. No one else would have been like, eh, I bet I can get away with this one. <laughs> I bet no one's looking on this one, you know? Like, buddy, everybody's watching. Everybody is watching. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get anything through this group of people. Nope. Especially not if we're watching. We, <laughs> Dan is the premier, the world's leading Alex Jones researcher. And it's unquestioned. 
Everyone agrees. Period. That's incredible. So before we wrap up, uh, how has it been being a professional podcaster? Oh, that's that wasn't what I was expecting. It's been the most best thing of my life. You know, it's been the most rewarding thing. And for me, becoming a comedian was always my goal for, you know, I was I did it for a decade and being a comic was what I, I dreamt of doing. And at no point in time beyond doing material about my bipolar disorder, beyond doing that, you know, I was talking about TV and dicks, you know, like that was the that was me at work. Right. And now because of what we do and because of what we stumbled into, we've done so many amazing things for people that I would never have believed that would be just part of something that I I do. You know, the podcasting that we do, I think at this point, you know, Dan and I do that because we, we love what we do. You know, we love each other and doing it for our job is the greatest privilege that we can. But ultimately now the fan base, the, the wonks, they've turned into their own beautiful thing. You know, they are, if you ask anybody about them, you know, talk to Mike. Mike will tell you that the Wonks are the greatest people on this planet. There's no disagreement there. And we could not be luckier to have them, you know, and we don't lay claim on like the, these are our people. No, we got lucky. (laughs) I just, I love talking to other podcasters because I feel the same exact way about this job. Like it's something I never, podcasting wasn't a thing when we were kids. It wasn't a thing you could dream to be. I mean, maybe radio host or comedian or something like that, talk show host. But (laughs) podcast is like, I don't know. And I feel the exact same way. So I always want to ask other podcasters how they feel because it makes me feel so good to know that like it's it's probably one of the most supportive communities in terms of like, hey, help me out or what's going on. I think the cult pod, like I think the cult community and the podcasting community are two really incredible communities. And here, the Alex Jones anti Alex Jones conspiracy community seems pretty cool too. Oh, uh, you have no idea. I I can't explain it to you. <laughs> so at the very end, I do rapid fire questions. We're gonna change them because you were in a cult and not an MLM. But answer them as fast or as quickly or as slowly as you would like. All right. What is one word that encompasses how you feel about cults? You know, there's so many words. And I'm a I'm literally a writer. <laughs> so when I'm narrowing down words, I'm not narrowing down words. I'm narrowing down an infinite number of meanings that I can ascribe to one word specifically that at the end of the day, no one else will understand what I'm trying to say anyways. So I'll just say murder. That's what I associate with cults. I can't like come up with a word like conflicted that can can encompass all of my vast feelings about cults. I know. I think it's one of the toughest questions I ask. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. (laughs) Give me a warning to somebody in maybe a religious sect who's like, hey, this really extreme culty kind of group seems like a good idea to join. Go be with your family instead. Go be with your friends. Go rely on a support network. And if you don't have one, find one that's not this cult because there are much better ones. But what you're really looking for when you join a cult is a community and a connection and all of those things, you know? So the warning isn't like, oh, the cult is bad for you. The warning is like, 
if you are thinking about joining a cult, that's because you are lonely. That's because you are depressed. That's because you have no direction. You know, it's all of these other things that are leading you to where you are. And, uh, you know, talk to your family or a therapist about them. That's excellent advice. Join that cult. Fuck it. Ride the lightning. You never know. You never know. You might win. You might be the right one. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, So in your extensive knowledge and experience talking about this kind of stuff and and being in a cult, what do you think is the worst culty group out there right now? Hmm. You know, that's such a, a an interesting question, which is why I think the word I'm looking for with, with cults is, is conflicted, is because when we start talking about cults, we think of the cult that comes to your mind as the small group of people that are outlandishly behaving at the behest of some charismatic preacher type, you know? We think of that, but I see the cult mindset Anywhere there's kind of worship, anywhere there's kind of heroes, anywhere there are people who are are willing to just like, I'm going to let go of me. I'll do whatever you tell me to do, brother. You know, that kind of thing. That's where the cult I see comes from. And that's that's fucking everybody. That's everybody. Everybody's in a cult. Everybody's in a religion. Everybody's lying to themselves about something. There's only one way to get through the day. And that's. And I recommend this to children. Drugs. Take lots of drugs. Do them in public, uh, in front of your boss. That's what I recommend. <laughs> you guys can't see, but I'm literally, I'm like literally crying and laughing I, so hard. I, I don't. I'm a comedian. I do not appreciate a silent laugher. I don't. As a rule. <laughs> As a rule, you need to give me loud laughs or my comedian sense goes off and I'm like, you better turn it up because you're not getting the real volume that you need. (laughs) I'm laughing. I am. (laughs) What is the hardest lesson you learned in your journey with Christianity? I think the hardest lesson that I learned was how to... I mean, I don't want to say how to forgive people, but I want to say how to, like, not look down on them. I think for a long period of my life, because I was, and believe me, I was very, very angry at all of the the things that I had experienced. And I'm bipolar type one, so I was out of my mind most of my childhood, you know. And then, like, there's any number of things that I was furious about. And I was very willing to kind of, like, look down on people for making the choice to be in a faith organization, that kind of thing. I don't do that at all anymore. I think people assume that because I say religion's stupid, etc. You know, any number of mean things that I say, people will assume that I'm looking down on people for it. But eventually I realized, and it, it's so much, somewhat, I mean, involved with the cult, you know. When I was born, my ma uh, was giving birth to me three weeks late. I breached, I was 10 pounds you know, like 50-50 chance the cult ends seven months earlier because my ma and I die, you know? That's totally there. That's 100% possible. So there is a lot, a lot of there but for the grace go I kind of feeling to me, you know? Like if things had gone slightly differently in so many different directions, then I would have no problem being in one of those cults right now, you know? So it's a it's a fascinating 
lesson to learn that, boy, you think people are different from you, but everybody ultimately finds themselves with that kind of choice. You know, like, do I put both feet in or do I leave? And it's very difficult to know which to do. And I don't blame people for choosing either. It's the people who are always on the fence that I don't know if you've read that book they like to read about. God doesn't like the people on the fence. Not yeah. a fan. Not, Not a, a fan. fan. And then I like to sort of end it on a positive note. So give me like a positive takeaway from your time in this that maybe you still use today or something that keeps you going. I think a positive thing that could be uh, taken away from the experience is what I don't know how to say it in a way that doesn't like come off to some people as dismissive of of their perspective. Like, again, I, I really want to try and express as much as possible. This is the perspective of a white dude given every possible advantage in life at every point in time. We're all lucky I'm not a Nazi. You know, that's that's as good as it gets. So I don't want to I don't want to be like dismissive of anybody's perspective. And I empathize with the vast amounts of abuse that's been heaped upon so many people in these situations. There's a part of me that says, look at what can be done if you really get a small group of people together that believe something that really believe that something needs to be done. They can do a lot of shit. They get away with a lot of shit. They get a lot of shit done. And I think a lot of the times we allow the worst elements of society all the power in choosing what gets done whenever people believe in things. So, I yeah, I think there's a lot of power in small groups that share beliefs. I absolutely agree with you on, you know, on the anti side of right, all right, of right, the right. horrible no, stuff. No, right. Anti horrible no, stuff here. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. This is, I mean, it was, you're hilarious and so eye-opening. I love your perspective. <laughs> you would, We wouldn't have been able to hear you. I want everyone else to be able to laugh too. <laughs> They're going to laugh. Tell you, I can tell you that uh, over the 800 some odd episodes we've done, all of our negative reviews are about me. 100%. They are entirely about me. And none of them are like, oh, we couldn't hear Jordan. That's none of them. They are all Jordan is too fucking loud. He interrupts too much. And he's a complete asshole who says all kinds of dumb things all the time. All of which I agree. <laughs> so don't worry. No one will say, oh, I couldn't hear Jordan over you. Not how it works. You'd be surprised. I have a lot of similar comments. She talks over people. She doesn't edit the way I like, whatever. I'm like, you guys are starting in season one. Start where I figured shit out around like season two or something. And sure. <laughs> well, so for everybody that just loves you now and just thinks you're hilarious, where can they find you? Cause you're not on social uh, media. Uh, no, we're at uh, knowledgefight.com. I mean, you know, go to iTunes. It's a podcast. If you Google knowledge fight, you'll find it. We don't really have any like links or social media things to share or anything like that. So seems to be working great for you. Just word of mouth. It really is. It really does seem to have been like every five listeners we have, we get one new listener. And that's just been the same process the entire time. You need to implement the pyramid scheme of telling your listeners to get five of their friends to tune in and then have their friends tune in too. <laughs> I think the first, I think it still might be the first thing on our website that you'll read is like, it is impossible to sell you on the idea of this podcast. 
where well, I mean, it's like it's like I'm fine with that. <laughs> we will actively tell you, don't listen. You you don't need it. It's not for you. You know, it's fine. It's fine if you don't like it. I mean, I feel like I say the same thing when people ask me what my show's about because. I don't know if they're scammers. I don't know what they do on their free time. I'm like, I have a show about cults and scams. And then it kind of goes into there. But I'm like, you you might not like it. You might be triggered. I probably talk about your friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel the same way. I'm like, I don't know how to describe this without potentially offending you really badly. So I don't know. It's, don't if you want to listen, just listen. Go for it. Thank you so much, Jordan. This has been a really, really great way to spend my morning, and I really appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Hans.